What's up, listeners? So thankful you pressed play on today's episode of the podcast. I am loving being able to share more about the SLP side of things and being so immersed in the field with being in graduate school right now. Today's episode is all about the things I wish I knew as a first semester grad student, and there is quite a list of them. If you got a chance to listen to episode three, you could kind of think of this one almost as a second part of episode three. When I was applying to graduate school and in the first couple of weeks of grad school, I asked a lot of friends who were farther along in the program than I was what I should know about grad school, what they recommend, and what their biggest piece of advice was. And now I feel kind of honored and it's kind of fun to come and share some helpful tips that I found to be true or experiences I had in my first semester of grad school. And I bet I could honestly do one of these after just about every semester because I'm sure I will learn so much more about grad school, but we are going to go with it for today. (laughs) The first thing that comes to mind when I think about the things that caught me off guard, uh, the things that I wish I knew, was the additional money that I was going to have to pay besides tuition and books. All of a sudden, when we started classes, I had all these extra expenses that kind of came out of nowhere and thankfully I was able to pay for them but had I been on a tighter budget things could have been way different but like for my program we incurred the extra expenses of a simu case subscription um if you're not familiar with that it's like this online platform that you can watch like clinic videos and answer questions and do some interactive things and then earn hours for it so you can apply the hours towards your experience We were asked to purchase the MBS IMP course, and that is the course that teaches you how to read the video swallow studies. I purchased clinic insurance, and I can't remember for sure if I had to get that to practice in my own university clinic or if that was a part of my pre-externship I had last semester, but still extra money I was not planning on spending. We were required to pay for a CPR course, and I also had to pay for an additional background check for my pre-externship on top of the one I paid for to be able to practice in our on-campus clinic. So, and they also suggested, like our faculty and professors suggested that we become members of the National NISLA so we could get the discount once we transfer our NISLA membership to that professional membership. So, as you can about imagine, all that added up really quickly. So moral of the story is set aside some extra money if you can to kind of be prepared for those extra expenses because they are often the ones the program doesn't typically tell you about. Following the additional money, another aspect that really stuck out to me was how the excitement of something new and the rapid transition of something different then your undergrad will carry you through the first part of the program and then that excitement factor kind of wears off and then it gets real and it gets real real quick. At least that is what I experienced and and when that feeling starts to set in, it, it doesn't mean that you've lost the fire for the field or the passion for the work you'll be doing. Um, I kind of had that lie run through my head, but I think it's just like that newness starts to wear off and then the hard work really begins the coursework starts to increase, the expectations begin to rise, and and suddenly I wasn't really, and I honestly wasn't expecting to feel like this, but I felt like it kind of really hit me, and I was discouraged for a little bit following that that stark realization of, okay, excitement versus reality, Um, and it was was an okay thing, it was necessary, um, but I just want to encourage you that if this happens to you, 
it's okay. Uh, it just means it's time to time to dig in um, and keep keep working hard. On the note of starting to really dig into your program, I had this realization that every program is going to look a little bit different, and that's okay. Uh, if the program you're applying to or the program you're attending is ASHA accredited, then they are required to follow the criteria set by ASHA. So you meet the competencies in order for you to graduate. And all those competencies are the same across the programs that are accredited. Now, there might be some program-specific competencies that will vary from program to program, but bottom line, there's a standard. Now, where it looks different is how the programs are going to move you towards those competencies or the way in which those programs are going to test your knowledge and application to demonstrate the competencies. And the reason I'm touching on this is because I didn't do my undergrad at UNL, but I had friends that were staying at MSUM to finish their graduate degree. And in talking to them, I just kept thinking, wow, like I really like the setup of that. Or I like how they have fewer classes or excuse me, more classes and fewer clients right away. And there were just some aspects to, that made me think like, wow, what, why did I choose to move? And then I had this realization, like I was led to go to UNL for a reason. Uh, it's not a, by chance or luck that I'm at UNL, but if I was supposed to be at another school, then I would. And so really all that to say is don't play the p- comparison game too hard because it is not always about the name on your diploma. Uh, it's it's more about what you will do with the degree you have earned and what you what you did and made of the experiences you had in your program. And so I think rather than kind of the like, uh, you know, that's a better program or whatever, just kind of be reminded that you will be as equipped as possible to go out into the world and be an SLP no matter what accredited program you go to. Um, They have to follow those ASHA standards and each program has its own unique set of strengths and no program is going to be perfect. So also many professionals say in the field, you will never know everything. There is always something to learn, but you can get a really solid base in undergrad and in grad school and refine your skills from there. On the note of comparison between programs, um, there's also kind of this aspect of comparison to others in your program and it is the single most quickest way to kill your joy and confidence in grad school and I'm saying this from personal experience and I had to consistently remind myself that everyone has different schedules and different ways to manage their time if someone has started something and I hadn't that I didn't need to sweat it that as long as I got it done by the deadline and it was quality work then that you know then what's the difference in that um and if you've been in an SLP undergrad program, you know the competitive nature of undergrad is crazy. Um, some might even label it with the word toxic. Um, but that in grad school, um, and what I hope is the case in your grad school, is that the the competition and comparison kind of goes away. Um, I would really, really hope that for you. Um, at least I feel like for the majority of my classmates and I, that was kind of the case. I think when you get into grad school your mindset kind of shifts towards the aspect of we are here to thrive together rather than trying to survive on our own little islands and also the mindset of like we're all here working for a greater purpose and getting a 4.0. Grad schools were for refining your skills and growing your knowledge to positively impact the lives of those who need communication and feeding services. You know some people say that competition breeds success and yes I'm sure all of us probably have this underlying goal of success and difference making in our future careers and 
I certainly hope that's not in a self-serving way, but out of a pure heart of generosity, but I just strongly believe there isn't really a place for competition in grad school. I heard a professor once say that there that we're all going to be colleagues in a few years and to think about that is really cool and gosh I hope that in grad school we could just be able to make each other better through teamwork and sharing resources and problem solving together like I think it's interesting to think about what if we changed competition in our programs to support and just what a radical impact that would have for the better okay End of tangent there. <laughs> Next thing, aside from comparison and competition, I found myself not understanding what or why I was doing something. But I was asked to do it, and as long as it aligned with my personal and professional morals and ethics, I did it. As much as it is good to ask why, asking it too much can be so discouraging. I did this early on, and I often found myself spiraling into this mode of like, why, why, rather than there's likely a why to how and what we're doing and just because I don't know it doesn't mean it's unnecessary unnecessary to do, um, if that kind of makes sense. I touched a little bit on this in this season two relaunch about my personal values of purpose and doing things purposefully and I think sometimes I struggle to do things with a purpose if I don't know why I'm doing them. But then I quickly remind myself I won't always know why and that's okay. Uh, but to still do those tasks with purpose. Moving towards something a little less deep and thought-provoking, I think it is so, so important to spend some time each day during the first few weeks of graduate school to go through the resource room, or um, maybe your program calls it like the therapy material room, and see what your program has available for resources. It will make therapy planning so much easier. I found that it was easier for me to think of an activity when I knew what was in a, what was available and how I could manipulate the materials to serve multiple purposes and attain those clients' goals. On the note of clinic and materials and planning and all that, lesson planning is important, but the rapport you have with the client and the evidence-based treatment strategy you select, those two things together are far more important than your lesson plan. Not only did I have multiple supervisors stress this, but I also experienced this firsthand. I had the opportunity to be in a community partner clinic last semester, and the supervisor was phenomenal. If you know me well and you've heard me talk about my clinic experience from this past fall, that placement was the highlight. I could talk about um, the, the supervisor for 45 minutes and how amazing she was and how thoughtful she was. Uh, with the meetings and the resources that she provided myself and my co-clinician as well as the way that you could see her passion for the field come through and her therapy services with the children and in one of our meetings with her we met uh, we met every week she said because my co-clinician and I were asking like man how do we take better data we just are not getting the data and she's like I think that's a great question and now granted here, this is this is not a quote. Um, I'm just remembering the gist of what she said. But she's like, it's a great question to ask how to take better data. But she told us that taking data is important. And, you know, translating this into a lesson plan. Uh, lesson planning is important. Taking data is important. But what she stressed to us the most is that the rapport we build with the client is more important. And, you know, just how people say like, babies can read when you're nervous to hold them 
that client can read when you are just really set on following your exact lesson plan and they can read when you're super, super focused on taking data. And unfortunately, what happens, and I experienced this myself in sessions, is that this this placement here what, um, was that in the placement, I noticed when I was so focused on taking data, I was not fully invested in the session. I was not fully invested um, specifically in what we were doing was play therapy, but I wasn't invested in the play and the child could tell that and they could read that on me that all I wanted to do was mark down these tally marks on my sticky note. And yes, data is important. We use data as SLPs to show the progress that our clients are making and especially when we throw in that element of a third-party payer and that insurance, we want they want to see progress and it's our job to demonstrate that through our documentation and that's great but this is again kind of kind of a skill that took time to develop and by no means do I want to sound like I'm excellent at it I'm not I have tons and tons of work to do in that area but I do finally kind of have at least just this concept of okay I should try to take some data but worst case scenario in my documentation I can always do qualitative data if I don't get quantitative data and it's more important in the session that in the long run and in the long run that I develop a good rapport and then the client and that the client can tell that I want to be there and that I want to be engaged and that I'm giving them my full attention because when I'm bought into the therapy typically the client's going to be bought into the therapy and then typically we're going to see greater gains throughout therapy so I just wanted to throw that nugget in there that so many of us love to have that great lesson plan and so many of us want to take great data and those are such solid goals. I don't want to discount that for one second, but they're and they're, they're necessary goals um, and planning and taking great data is great, but the rapport, uh, interestingly enough, actually outweighs the importance of the lesson planning or the data that you might gather. So just kind of encouragement to keep that in mind as you are newer, but also as you move through the program and through the field in your possession, profession. Aside from clinic, there was a really big thing classroom-related that I wish I knew going into graduate school. And as silly as it might sound, I wish I knew how to study and read. Like, it just sounds so funny at the graduate level that I'm saying that I wish I knew how to study and read, but it's the truth, you guys. It is the truth. I... And it kind of just what sparked the thought was something that a professor had said to my cohort and I pretty early on, but it was super true. And she emphasized on the importance of knowing how to read and knowing how to study. And she provided some explanation to that. And from personal experience and her explanation, I want to kind of share how I ended up applying her explanation. In, in all of what I'm going to kind of share is somewhat from the perspective of working smart and working hard. Did you catch that? I said, and. Most of the time we hear the saying, work smarter, not harder. And while I'm big on efficiency, I would encourage you that when it comes to studying, especially in grad school, to work smart and hard. So if you can kind of track with me on that, working smart and working hard, I think you'll be able to better understand some of the tips I want to share. First thing I learned was how to use the documents you're provided in the classes. For example, if a class gives you an outline or lecture notes, make sure you're reading those to understand what concepts 
are being focused on in those outlines. Another example is if professors are giving you main concept videos, those are extremely helpful to watch to kind of orient yourself to what the class is covering. So whether you watch that before class um, or you watch it after lecture or you watch it both before and after, whatever, uh, maybe you watch that to study for an exam, those can be extremely helpful. And I'm certainly speaking from personal experience here that I was really appreciative of the professors who provided some introduction videos or review videos. There are so many new concepts that are introduced in grad school, so it can be helpful to kind of get an overview of the new concept before or after diving into the material. A note on textbooks as well. Sometimes it's intimidating when you look at the syllabus, at least I think it's intimidating to look at the syllabus and see that the professor is asking you to read 20 to 40 pages. And you're like, okay, well, how do you expect me to retain the information of 45 pages? Well, the, the same professor that encouraged us to learn to read well and study well said that when you're going through and reading a long document or many pages of text, that it can be very helpful to start by reading the headings and the first and last sentences of each paragraph and skimming any bolded or italicized words. She said that through her experience, typically she could get a really good idea of what the chapter was covering or the document was covering. And I did this and not only was my reading more efficient, but I was able to grasp the main concepts of the text better. I also found that if you look or glance at the tables and the titles of the tables, you can see the information um, typically organized in a new way. Sometimes that graphical or table format can sometimes be easier to read than a bunch of concepts written narratively in a paragraph format. So I noticed this past semester that a lot of textbooks also had main concept boxes at the end, and those were great. I honestly found them to contain the bread and butter of the chapter. So if you can find those main concept boxes, I highly suggest giving them a read. Along with reading, the timing of reading becomes important as well from personal experience. I highly suggest reading at least a little bit before the lecture because it helps to know likely what's going to be talked about and that in the lecture you can ask better questions because you've already been prefaced to the material. Um, but that reading prior to the lecture also acts as an additional exposure to the material Kind of think of it this way that the more studying you do during the semester, the less studying you'll have to do towards finals. Um, I found that to be true of my experience this past semester, and I'm very thankful I studied throughout the semester and reviewed often so I didn't have to cram a ton in for finals. And it's not, not all about finals either because the material in grad school is stuff that you will need to have stay with you for the long haul or at least until you start to kind of specialize in your field and then you know, you kind of are able to focus your energy on a few content areas, maybe rather than all of it. But at the grad school stage, all of it is for keeps right away. But a side note of that, you know, all this material is for keeps, is that I did mention a couple of times about taking away those big concepts. And sometimes there are a lot of big concepts and how the big concepts are the most important part. But to add to this, a professor said in a class one day that, Knowing the main points create a really solid foundation, especially, she said, when you put what you're learning through the lens of the real world, once you get out into the real world, knowing the foundation and the basics is the most important thing because you're going to have access to look up the super specific things. 
she told us like it's impossible to have everything in the field memorized but having a solid basis of that foundational knowledge of the field is very crucial and then where you find that you might have some gaps in super specific things you can look them up and sometimes you know it's not a bad thing to look look something up anyway even if you are feeling confident in that area because maybe there's new research out or something like a new product, new technique that might benefit your clients. So just thinking about developing that really solid base, but also knowing where to go if you need to find specifics. So that was kind of a long and drawn out way to say that really reading is important. Studying is important. Um, It's important to study smart and study hard. I do think the two can work in conjunction and that from experience and wise counsel of professors, all the stuff in grad school is for keeps until you begin to get to the point of specialization within your career. This last one here isn't necessarily something I wish I knew going into my first semester. It's just kind of something that every SLP grad student ever told me and I experienced it myself as well and it was extremely beneficial so I want to pass this along to you as well. I am so glad I knew that I should schedule time for myself The advice I received and the advice I want to continue to give to you is that taking time for yourself is essential for your success. A page-long to-do list of reading and planning for clients that needs to be done can make you feel like you never shut your laptop or your books, but I promise you if you take five to six hours for yourself a week, you will still have enough time to get everything else done because those hours that you spend with yourself for yourself will kind of make you feel more energized and productive in the time that you are spending on school. I found this out quite quickly, so I'm so thankful people advise me this way, and it can be hard to figure out just where you're going to give yourself some time, but it comes kind of down to scheduling. Um, just like you schedule time to do your coursework, you you got to schedule some time for yourself because you are the one doing the coursework. And also some weeks you're going to have more time to take for yourself than others, but nonetheless it is important And if you want any more tips, way to schedule and time, ideas of things to do for yourself, please reach out. I'm happy to um, help brainstorm some ideas that might might work for you. Um, And I genuinely mean that whether we know each other or not, I'm always happy to help. And as we close our time together today, I'm sad to say that this is the last episode of actual content for this season. I will have a short episode next week. Um, I'm actually calling it short and sweet, but it will be the season finale for season two. So I hope you enjoyed the episode today. I love to share nuggets of information that I pick up along the way in hopes that it might help you out down the road as well. I don't. I do want you to know, though, that I am not an expert in this and you know, in this crazy complex world we're living in, sometimes things become situational. So you can kind of think of what was shared in today's episode and other episodes on the podcast as just a launch pad for you um, into future situations where you can use your own wisdom and critical thinking skills as well in the challenges that you might face in the future. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening today. As I say a lot, it is a joy to be here. This platform is a gift and I am blessed to be supported by those of you who listen. Reach out if you want to chat or have some questions. Always happy to listen or to help. See you in a couple weeks, fam. Have a blessed day.